Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to begin at verse 31. If this is your first Sunday with us, uh, we have been going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' teaching about what the kingdom of God is like, what its priorities are. And, uh, and he wants us to know that. If we consider ourselves disciples, then we are taking very seriously that he is our teacher. And if Jesus is our teacher, if he has called us to be disciples, then Jesus believes that his teaching can be embodied in our lives, just like he embodied it when he was physically here among us. That should be a great challenge and a great honor for us to know that Jesus believes his teaching can be lived out in our world, in your life, and in my life, and in our life together. And so we're taking this seriously and doing a deep dive. Now, we are not going to finish the Sermon on the Mount before we jump into Advent season. And so here's what we're going to do. This Sunday, I'll I'll teach from the Sermon on the Mount. Next Sunday, Pastor Kyle will wrap up this portion of the Sermon on the Mount by preaching to us next Sunday. Then we'll have the Sunday before Thanksgiving and jump into Advent. And then sometime in the new year, we will come back and finish this. Because this is important, is it not? That we hear the words of the one we say taught us the way of life and how to live that in the world. And so we want to do that. So I just want you to know if you're one of those people who looks ahead and says, how in the world is he going to get through a whole other chapter before we get to Christmas? That's how we're going to do it, okay? So uh, if you have your Bibles, would you open them to Matthew chapter 5? And we're going to read verses 31 through 37. Uh, Would you stand, if you are able, in honor and reverence of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Hear the word of the Lord. This is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Oh, I'm sorry, that's last week. Must have needed it again. Here we go. 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife... No, that's wrong too. That's right. No, that's right. Let's do a redo. Can we edit this? (laughs) It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, or in my case, just stay in. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this 
comes from evil. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. This is the word of God for the people of God. And our response is, thanks be to God. You may be seated. When I was in high school, and and actually I I started when I was very young, all the way at T-ball, I played baseball. That was my one of my sports. The other was swimming. But uh, baseball was what I enjoyed and loved. Played from T-ball all the way through my senior year of high school. And I remember I was probably in sixth grade, seventh grade playing baseball and uh, was having a little trouble with batting. And my dad was trying to give me some help. And what's the one item of advice that you give? I mean, you can work on swing, but what's the main thing that, that you hear people shout to a batter when they are up to bat or maybe struggling? It is to what? Keep your eye on the ball. That's right, Steve. Keep your eye on the ball. And I'll never forget one time there was a an article in the newspaper of a game that was going on. I still remember because it was Gary Carter who played for in my in my opinion the hated Mets. And uh and he was it was a it was a zoom in of him batting and the ball was coming and so you could see the ball, you could see his face and you could see the bat coming. And you could see his eyes were focused. You could see immensely right how laser focused they were on that ball. And my dad just brought that. You see, I'm telling you about keeping your eye on the ball. Look at this pro. And I was watching him and seeing. He said, look where his focus is. And there was no doubt the focus was right on that ball. Now, I have no idea because it was a picture if he completed the hit or not. But he was focused on that ball. It was his priority in the batter's box. And when we take that metaphor out into our world, sometimes you might hear someone in business or or whatever, keep your eye on the ball. And what we mean is to keep your focus on what is most important. What are the priorities? We want to keep our eye on the ball. And you see, what we're going to get in when we get to these teachings and what Jesus has been doing as he's been teaching, you have heard it said, but I say, is to really drill down for his disciples and for the crowds and for the religion of his day to say to them, keep your eye on the ball. Let me focus you on what is most important to God's kingdom. And so I want you to do that. We're going to dive in today as we begin to look at this, that we want to keep our eye on what is most important to God's kingdom. You see, the focus of the religion of Jesus' day, when it came to the law, all this, you have heard it written, and this is what I say, the focus on the law had become what is permissible. So they would look at what was written in the law and they would say, okay, but what is permissible? What does that mean? How, and and in essence what they were saying is, how far can I go before I break covenant or before I sin? How far can I go? I know I'm not supposed to commit adultery, but there's a lot of space between where I am and adultery. How far can I go? We saw Jesus dial that back. He says, You should not murder. But there's a lot of space between where I am and actually killing someone. How far can I go? And that really became the the focus, the priority. In fact, rabbis would go back and forth talking about, well, this way or that way. Or you can do this but not that. 
the priorities began to get off. And Jesus wants to focus us, to keep our eye on the ball of what is the kingdom's priorities. The kingdom of heaven's priorities is always about people. It's not about what's permissible, it's about people. And Jesus constantly brings it back to people. And his focus is laser, like Gary Carter on that baseball that was coming. This is what is the priority. It's not about what is permissible. It is about people. And asking yourself the question, is what I am about to do or what I am about to say going to harm or hurt or injure a person? A real, live person. So with that in mind... Let's jump in and hear his teachings on divorce. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. You can turn there if you would like. I'm just going to paraphrase because it describes a situation about divorce in the Old Testament law. Now, it describes a situation and how one should react to a, a situation. It says, basically, if, you're, if a man divorces his wife and his wife marries someone else and then he divorces her or dies, the, man, the first man shouldn't marry the second, the, his wife again. I'm not given a lot of clarity on that. But the, what, I wanted, what Jesus uses here is to how this practice was being developed when the focus was on what can I get away with. Or how far can I go? What is permissible? He wants to refocus that. The practice of divorce, and, and, and we can read this in, in Deuteronomy chapter 24. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, Jesus quotes, because he finds something indecent about her. That's what the law says. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, Because he finds something indecent about her, he can issue her a certificate of divorce and send her out of his home. That was the practice of Jesus' day. And the focus for the religion of his day became, well, what does indecent mean? What does it mean to find her indecent? And, and you would find that there were generally two schools of thought around this. One was the school of Shammai. And the school of Shammai said this. This is his quote. Let the wife be as mischievous as the wife of Ahab. If you're not familiar with that, that's Jezebel. Let, it, let, it, let the wife be as mischievous as Jezebel. She cannot be divorced for any reason except for adultery. He drew a line in the sand. He said, this is the only reason. And Jesus seems to be following the school of Shammai in this instance. There are others where he he seems to follow uh, the school that I'll talk about here in just a second. But Shammai says, this is the only reason that there you can use the term indecent which is then constitutes grounds for writing the letter of divorce and sending her out of your home. The school of Hillel was a lot more broad with this. They, they, these are some of the reasons that are some of the definitions that they attach to the word indecent. If she talked to men in the streets, you could write divorce and send her out of your home. If she disrespected your parents, you could write a letter of divorce and send her out of your home. If she was in public without her head covered, 
You could write her a divorce, send her on her way. Oh, it doesn't stop there. Uh, if she was a brawling woman, I guess no MMA wives in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, the, so uh, if she was troubling or quarrelsome, if you just didn't want to deal with her arguing, you could write that letter and send her on her way. And lastly, if she spoiled a dinner with salt, that's very interesting, isn't it? with salt in particular. Too salty, not salty enough, I don't know. The way that Hillel is going, probably for either. You could write her a letter of divorce and send her on her way. In fact, Rabbi Akiba of the Hillel school said that it meant if the husband found another woman more attractive, you could use the label indecent, write her a letter of divorce and send her on her way. Now, there's something you've got to understand because we really come at this with our 21st century understanding of divorce. So I want you to hear the situation that Jesus was speaking into. I want you to know that a woman could never ask for divorce. She she could have a horrible marriage. She could have an abusive marriage. She could have just a, a, a terrible, horrible time in her marriage. And she could never ask for a divorce. She could never run away back home or into to somewhere else to get away from that abusive husband. A woman could not stop or contest a divorce. She might very much love her husband. But if he found someone who is more attractive and writes that letter and wants to send her out of his home, she couldn't stop it. She couldn't contest it. It was done. Also, a woman could not just go out and get a job or get government assistance. So to send a woman out of your home for divorce might consign her to destitution, might consign her to abject poverty, might consign her to begging, might consign her to an awful life. If her family was no longer living or could not bring her or would not bring her back into the home, That was her only option. Or she could go and find another man just to survive. She may not love him. He may be worse to her than her first husband. But if it's a matter of survival or living with someone you don't love, this is what you do. Jesus' comments about making her commit adultery were not meant to shame a woman like this. Can you hear me say that this morning? If you have experienced the heart-wrenching sorrow of a divorce, I want you to hear that this morning. Jesus' words about making her commit adultery or making the man who took her into his home or married her an adulterer, that was not meant to shame the woman. And I'm afraid sometimes we have read it that way. What these words were meant to do were to confront the men who were treating women in this way with God's priorities, which are always about people. And Jesus was one of the first teachers of his time to remind the religion of his day that women are the image of God. They are made in the image of God. And it takes male and female to form that image in our world. And so he is confronting them. You are making 
In fact, one of your translations will say you make her a victim of adultery. That's what Jesus is getting at. He's getting at, this is not about shaming someone who already has no power in this situation. This is about confronting the people who are doing this to women. And that is not God's priority. God's priority is always people. Keep your eye on the ball. For what is God's priority? It is always people. Now let's pause here for just a second. Because some of you may be asking the question, does this mean that we can't use this passage for guidance about divorce today? Of course it doesn't mean that. We can still use this. In fact, I think it enhances how we use this today. It means that no matter how frustrated you are with your spouse, if you are thinking about divorce, this challenges you to remember that that person who is causing so much frustration in your life is a human being made in the image of God. And we need to start with that question. God, help me to see my spouse as a human being who's created in your image. And from there, let me teach me how to move in this realm. I think we've used this so much just as a litmus test for what's permissible. Well, okay, I, I know it's horrible, but, you know, nobody's committed adultery, so you got to stay together. As if that's the only option. There's counseling nowadays. There's, there's ways of, why don't we figure out why we're stuck in this arguing pattern? And I know I'm a therapist, so this is not a, a plug for more therapy. I'm just saying there are lots of options here that help us to return to the priorities, to keep our eye on the ball so that we begin to see that the kingdom of God is about people and treating people with the dignity that they need and deserve and are born with because they are the image of God in front of you. Let's go on. We need to move on to oaths and, and look at this strange thing for us about oaths. Let's read that just a little bit. Again, you have heard it said to those in ancient time, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. Now, again, in the religion of Jesus's day, the focus got off on what's permissible here. And so they drilled down and, and they began to focus on the part of that verse that says to the Lord vows you have made to the Lord vows made to other people. Eh, maybe you keep them. Maybe you don't. It's only those ones that were made to the Lord that really are important for you to keep. It's like they were saying, if you made a vow using God's name, it was absolutely binding. You were tying God into the process of this. If you made a vow on anything else, heaven, earth, Jerusalem, or your head, those were the popular ones of Jesus' day, you could break those. Because you didn't involve God as a partner in the deal that you were making right there. The idea was that if you used God's name, God became a partner in that deal. So if Steve and I negotiated and, hey, Steve, I'm going to sell you my car for this amount. And, and I promise in God's name that, uh, that I'll sell it to you for this price. That means that now the deal is between me and Steve and God. And I better keep that. 
Because it's very important, because I've, I've included God in the midst of this vow or this promise that I am making. So if you didn't use God's name, God, the, the thought was, or their thought in their day was, that God has nothing to do with it. This was especially used, listen to this, this was especially used to take advantage of outsiders in business. That we would negotiate a price on something, or we would negotiate something in the, in the, uh, together, and I would say, and uh, you know, I swear up on my head that this will be the case. And when they come and they want the, the payment for that deal or whatever you've worked out, you could just back away and say, I never said anything like that. Take it or leave it. Or you could negotiate down to try and get a lower price. It was used to take advantage of outsiders. And Jesus again confronts with God's priorities. He says, keep your eye on the ball, people. Just because you don't use God's name does not mean God is not involved. And that's why he goes back to looking at at what is God's or focusing on the heavens, the earth, Jerusalem, and your head. He's basically saying the heavens are God's. God created them. You should know this. The earth is God's. God created all that is in it. Jerusalem is God's. I know Jesus says Jerusalem is the, the home of the great king. He's not talking about David, and he surely wasn't talking about King Herod of his day. You see, the people of of ancient Israel believed that the temple was the throne of the great king, that Isaiah saw seated upon his throne. He says, even your head is God's. God created it, and you have no control over your head, how much hair you have, whether it's gray, blonde, brown, or black. So Jesus is saying, focus here, people. Why are you using God's stuff to take advantage of other people? Why are you assuming that God is not present in every word that you say to another human being? Let me ask us a question, and you online. Do we believe that God is present everywhere at all times? Yes. Do we believe like Jesus that God's priority is people? Yes. I hope your answer at home is yes too. If we really believe that, then we shouldn't need to swear by anything to keep our word. We should know that God is present. And in every conversation, in every deal that we make, in everything that you do in business, there is always a third partner in the deal. And his concern is for you and for the other person. And his concern is that you would treat each other with dignity and respect seeing both persons as the image of God. And that's why Jesus says then, if that's the case, if you believe that to be true, our yes should mean yes, and our no should mean no. It's just that simple. Wouldn't it be amazing if our world had that as its priorities? Can you imagine how different social media might be if we actually considered that the other person who is reading what we're about to type or send out or the picture we're going to take 
was an image of God human being. And that God is present there too to see and to know and wants to call us as his disciples to have our eye on the ball, to be focused on his priorities, which are always people. Can you imagine the difference in our politics? If this were the case, where all the people knew that there was another partner in the deal who was watching over and cared and whose priority was about people. What a difference it would make. That's why Jesus is calling us as disciples to be examples of that. And to know whatever we say, whatever we do, there is always someone there with us calling us to focus. Eye on the ball. These are my priorities. This person that you are talking with, communicating to, they are an image of God just like you are. And you are to call and treat them with dignity and respect. So if this is our call, we definitely don't use words to take advantage of people who are made in God's image. For God, it is always about people. Can I get an amen for that? It's always about people. Have you not seen this all the way through when he's talking about murder and anger? The focus is bringing it back on people. When he talks about, when he talks about, uh, sexual immorality and, and lust, it's, it's, it's not just about drawing a line, it's about focusing your heart on people. When he talks about divorce, it's not about when can I do it and when can I not do it. It's about focusing your heart on the kingdom priorities, which are always about people. When he talks about oaths and the way we use our words, It's not to say, well, don't use these words, but use these words. It's about focusing your heart on kingdom priorities, which are always about people. Always about people. So this is where we come to the part of the message where we say, what about you? Where is this hitting you? Do your words line up with the belief that God is present in the midst Is the other partner in the deal? Is the other person there in the conversation? And his heart is for your heart to focus on his kingdom priorities, which are always about the person that you are speaking to or with. Is that yours? Or is the Holy Spirit checking you or challenging you about a post that you made or about something you said to someone else that may not have lived up to God's kingdom priorities? The goal is not to shame you. The goal is to call you back to the kingdom priorities. And it may be that He's going to call you to go and apologize or to take down a post or to delete a tweet (laughs) In order to say, I, my, my eye was off the ball there. I need to go back and refocus on God's priorities, which are always about people. Maybe you've lived through the, the horrors of divorce. And maybe you're still clinging to a lot of anger. And maybe you don't say those words out loud anymore. But in your heart, you see your former partner as less than. Maybe the call for you today is back to the kingdom priorities, eye on the ball. I may never be able to have a great relationship with that person again, 
But God, help me to see them in your image. And help me to let go of what is causing that anger or causing me to diminish them in my eyes. Help me to have your priorities. Help me to keep my eye on the ball. But it's not all, it's not just about you. It's also what about us as a church? What about us, the cross community church, both here and online? Do we have our eyes on the ball collectively together? Is our focus about people and not about, well, this, this, you know, how far can I go? You know, what can I do in this situation? Is our focus the kingdom focus, the heart of Jesus focus? Is our focus on people as the image of God? I hope you know that our priorities are called as disciples of Jesus, to be the same as God's. To focus on people. And that's why, that's part of the rationale behind some of our 10-4 goals. Some of it is about focusing our hearts on God, and that is important. But remember, Jesus connected love of God to love of others. To see the full kingdom priorities as other people. As human beings. And so we decided that in our 10-4 goals, we would do things like service projects so we could go out and show that the kingdom priorities are for other people. That's why we're asking you when you go shopping this week to look for Thanksgiving items to bring in because we want to be a church that focuses, that has our eye on the ball, that is concerned about other people. If that's God's heart, it needs to be our heart. And where it's not, we need to confess and repent and say, God, help me to keep my eye on the ball. Help me to see other people in your image as people that you so loved that you gave your very life for them. So we're calling you to do that. It's why part of our our 10-4 goals are to teach you and help you and encourage you to go and invite someone, whether it's to come here to the physical property or for you who are online to start a watch party, to have say, we're going to get together and watch this. And guess what? It doesn't have to be on Sunday. If Monday night works better, you can gather your group and watch it on Monday night. You can watch it on a Zoom meeting. You can do whatever. But it's the way of prioritizing people. Not just my needs, but what do they need? And I don't know about you, but we as a church still believe that people need Jesus. And you and I are the ones who can introduce Jesus to them. That's our focus. That's our priorities. It's our hope that people in the we care will not just know that this is a daycare center that, you know, they think rents property. No, it's a ministry of the church because our focus is on people, even the littlest of people. We believe God loves them and we want to treat them with dignity and respect. And we want their families to come here and to sing, hey, I belong here. This is the focus of our goals is because we are called to have our eyes on the ball and the ball is the priorities of the kingdom of God that Jesus told us we could embody and that priority is other people.
So my brothers and my sisters, is that your priority? If it's not, then in just a moment we're going to close in prayer and I'm going to invite us all to pray and confess, God, if my eyes are not on the ball, refocus them today. Help me to see people as your priority. In my words, in how my actions may impact someone else, teach me your priorities. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, come to us today. The world is desperate. see a group of people whose priority is others in the way that you made people priorities. God, keep our eyes laser focused on the ball today. And if our words this week have not treated another person, whether it's someone we know, whether it's someone we barely know on Facebook, whether it's an old high school friend, whether it's someone who's in politics that we don't like or disagree with, if we have diminished them in any way, refocus our eyes on your priorities which are always about people and that people are made in your image and that person was worthy of your great love that came and died for them. God, if our actions have created victims, help us to have the courage to repent to you, to them, if that would not create more harm. We ask for your forgiveness in Jesus' name. Teach us your priorities. And help us to know that your priorities for people extends to us as well. You have given us grace. The Bible says you have poured your very Holy Spirit into our lives that we might live your teaching. May we as Cross Community Church be focused on your priorities. Teach us how to do that with grace and dignity, with hope for the future, and most importantly, filled with love. For we pray and ask all of these things in your name, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, here and online, Amen. 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 Would you stand and receive the final blessing? And now, may you get your eyes on the ball. May you experience the life that can flow through you out to others when your priorities 
are the kingdom priorities. And those priorities are people. May you have the grace to see every person you work with, come in contact with, barely rub shoulders with. May you see them as the image of God. May you see them as someone Christ died for. May you see them as one that God loves. And may your actions and your words declare the same. I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Go in peace. May God bless you. Thank you if you've joined us online. Thank you for joining us today. We're so grateful that you know you belong here. And we pray that God's blessing would be upon you as well. Enjoy your afternoon. Have a great Lord's Day. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Croft Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week.